0: Today's sermon passage is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise, For people Swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie—
1: This is what we pray this morning, that by the work of Your Spirit, each person here would be moved to go looking for hope in Christ. Each person here would say, come now, rejoice, O my soul. I forgot about verse two. I'm so sorry. You know what? Mine is Christ forevermore. So Lord, those of us who came in here today, low, broken, hurting, filled with anger, filled with doubt, filled with shame, filled with guilt filled with brokenness, filled with trauma. Pray that Christ and the work of His Spirit would be applied to us in such a way that we would have our heads lifted and we would leave here in hope. And for those of us who came in here Grasping on to other anchors, grasping on to other things. I pray, pray that you would draw us to Jesus, and I pray this in His name, for His glory. Amen. You guys may be seated. If you haven't already, please take your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews. Hey, Kyle, is it possible that Andy left his microphone on and that's what we're hearing? Thank you. Okay. Note to self, turn your microphone off. Particularly if you can't sing like I can't. It's really bad. It's really bad. Um. Okay. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 6. If you're our guest today, let me just say thank you, say thank you so much for being with us. And, and what we do here at Redeemer is we work through um, books of the Bible. And so um, our next passage is the one that Ashlyn just read for us. Um, and our sermon today is entitled Anchored. It's entitled Anchored. And, and this, like, I know some people love sermons and love detail. And some people are like, dude, just, like, give me the, give me the nugget so I can pretend that I listened So I'm going to help you guys for a minute, okay? Here's what this passage says. Is that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, there is a spiritual anchor that endures all things, now and forevermore. That's what the passage says. In Jesus Christ, the Son of God, there is a spiritual anchor that endures all things, now and forevermore. Now, that's a loaded sentence that we're going to spend a few minutes trying to wrestle through. But that's what's going on in this passage. Now, one of the things I love so far about the book of Hebrews um, is it's kind of like the last sentence from last week's passage is really what the author is trying to drive home in this week's passage. And so you don't have to be creative to find what the author of Hebrews is going at. And so just go back up with me to chapter 6, verse 12. And he says, I want you to not be sluggish, that's spiritually sluggish, not physically sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And really that is the outline of this whole passage that is in verses 13 through 20. We are called to imitate, that is build our lives like, those who through Faith and patience inherited God's promises. And so really, that's the outline. Waiting with God's promises, looking to Jesus, is how we find hope for this life and the life to come. Waiting with God's promises, looking to Jesus, is how we find hope for this life and the life to come. Now let's look at the passage and see Um, exactly how it says that. So the first point, if you're one who takes notes, is waiting, waiting. All in favor of waiting? Anybody for that? I mean, anybody sitting here going, I can't wait to get to lunch today and have the longest wait of all the people here? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Yesterday we went out um, for my son's birthday and um, in downtown Nashville, I couldn't find a parking spot. So after a mere... Two and a half minutes. I mean, I was, like, white-knuckling the steering wheel. I actually just stopped and told the family, like, y'all go ahead and get out. Like, I just needed to be me in the car for a few minutes, you know. Um, So they didn't have to walk, you know. Um, And then we got in the restaurant, and I think we waited, like, a grand total of seven minutes max. But, like, I'm pacing. I'm, like, looking around the corner, like, are they setting our table? So, like, waiting is just, like, it's just abnormal To all of us. But here's the crazy thing about this passage, and here's what this passage assumes. To be alive is to be waiting on God to deliver his people and answer all of his promises. Let me say that one more time. To be alive. So everybody, here you go, take a deep breath. Okay, now I'm talking to you, okay? To be alive is to be in a position of waiting on God to bring His deliverance and His help and fulfill all of His promises. That's the assumption of the Scripture, and I believe that's the assumption of this passage. Because He says, I want you to fight out of sluggishness, That's chapter 6, verse 12. I want you to stop being hard of hearing. That's chapter 5, verse 11. And the way to do it is to look to Jesus and look to God to fulfill all of His promises in your impatient waiting. He's just assuming that living is waiting. So if you know sin in any way, you're waiting on God to put an end to it. If you know sickness and death and the decay of the body, in any way, I'm about to turn 40, I'm feeling it, okay? In any way, then we're waiting on God to come and deliver us. If we know broken relationships in any way, then we're waiting on God to come and apply His mercy and His grace to heal us of those things. If we know past hurts and past traumas and past brokenness and past broken relationships, what we are waiting on is for the Lord to apply the balm of his spirit and the balm of his word to carry us forward. To be alive is to be waiting on the Lord. And so to those who are waiting, which I've already said is all of us, the author of Hebrews says, let's start by looking Abraham let's start by looking at Abraham so look at verse 13 for when God made a promise to Abraham so God made a promise to Abraham and then verse 15 and thus Abraham having patiently waited obtained the promise so Abraham waited and obtained the promise now here's some good news for you okay how many of you are familiar with the story of Abraham? It's found in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way through the end of Genesis. Like, like if you were to write a, a, a two-sentence summary of the story of Abraham, would you say that Abraham patiently waited on the Lord? Like, like no! Like, like, like let's, just, let's just run through this real quick. God came to Abraham He said, Abraham, out of all the people... Alive, I'm choosing you, and I'm going to build my name, my glory, my nation, and my purposes through you. Through your family, by the way, Abraham had no children. Through your family, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. Cool, okay, sounds good. Then Abraham is called to leave his home. They have to. lots of tumult as they try to get to the place where God was sending them. They still don't have a child. They still don't have a child. So Abraham, you know, the, the one who waited patiently, he creates a scheme to make a child in a different way. That's, and God says, no, 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 not in that way. You will have a child. And so this goes on for decades upon decades upon decades, filled with impatience. So much so that God is continually speaking his word. I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will bless you. I will, you, I will multiply you. And then Abraham finally has this son the son that's going to become the first of the many. His name's Isaac. And God says to Isaac, or excuse me, to Abraham, I want you to travel to a particular place where I'm going to send you. I want you to set up an altar to me, and I want you to put Isaac on the altar. This is in Genesis chapter 22. I want you to put Isaac on the altar and kill him as a sacrifice of worship to me. Now, put yourself in Abraham's shoes here, okay? Like, wait, 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 what? I mean, we've been doing all this bouncing around, waiting on you, God, to keep your promise and give me a son who's going to become the first of, of many sons. And, and, and we really didn't think this was going to happen. I mean, so much so that, that my wife laughed out loud when, when you said that it was going to happen. And yet, it finally happened, and you want me to do what? And so they go, and um, again, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 22. They go, and God um, takes them to the place and what I, what I love is, this is not in the Bible, this is just me editorializing, which is a little bit dangerous, but let's do this anyway. Like, like clearly Isaac had to be a teenager, because you know, like, teenagers are like the least self-aware people in the world, right? So they go on this three-day journey, and then on the third day, Isaac's like, oh yeah, like, dad, we forgot the lamb, you know, the sacrifice. Like, it took him like three days to figure it out. Anyway, um, so they go, and Abraham is about to do what God has told him to do, And in the last minute, the angel of the Lord says, stop, I don't want you to kill your son. I've provided a lamb here. Use that lamb, release your son. And then the angel of the Lord reiterates again the promise of God that he will make Abraham a great nation. He will multiply him and he will use him to bless. But the reality is, is what we're told is waiting for Abraham was not patiently sitting around repeating God's promises to himself. Waiting for Abraham was living and doubting and struggling and battling and trying to believe God's promises over everything that he saw and felt and was told and struggled with. So waiting is living, and living is not this like high ivory tower Christian like bubble. Waiting is walking through a hard world that, that is not out to make life easy. Waiting is walking through a sinful world. Waiting is navigating our own sin. Waiting is waiting, navigating relational brokenness. Waiting is trying to obey God and His Word and everything not always working out the way we hoped it would work out. It's like the author of Hebrews knows that life's difficult. It's like the author of Hebrews knows that life is a challenge. It's like the author of Hebrews knows that following Jesus in this world is not an easy thing. And then he points to Abraham and he says, Abraham obtained the promise. And I think that's intended to be an encouragement to us because Abraham pretty much botched the whole waiting thing at every possible turn. And God was faithful to his word. God was faithful to his gracious and merciful promise in spite of Abraham. And so it's like he's saying, in your waiting, look at Abraham to give you hope. Because Abraham says, scoundrels can have God's blessing too. Abraham says, those who are impatient and try to make their own way can have God's blessing too. Abraham says God will accomplish God's word in God's ways and God's times and those don't always make sense to us because God doesn't need us to sign off on his master plans. But waiting is central to our world. So before we even get into the stuff about promises, let's just hone in on waiting because I think it's so counterintuitive for all of us. So what does this waiting look like? It looks like this. Here are some ways that this waiting that God's talking about could look like. Waiting could look like struggling day by day and moment by moment with your sin, your pattern of sin, and longing for the Spirit of God to deliver you in a way that you've not experienced before. Waiting could look like living in a hard relationship with a hard person who won't change and longing for God to come and do a work in that person's heart that only He can do. Waiting can look like carrying the guilt and the shame and the fear of our past poor choices and and longing for the Lord to come and apply His grace and His mercy and His healing there. Waiting could look like carrying a debilitating illness day by day and moment by moment, longing for the Lord to either heal or to take us home to be with Jesus. Waiting can look like walking in the brokenness and the trauma of our past Longing for Jesus to come and make us whole and make us feel renewed and redeemed and restored, even if that means He needs to take us home. Living is waiting. And if our gospel and our hope and our redemption doesn't speak to our current waiting, then we've missed the point. The point of this passage is to have hope that transcends waiting. And what the passage says is that if we want that hope there's two places we need to look. And they are kind of come from the same source. If we want this kind of hope for our waiting there's two places we need to look. To the promises of God and to the Son of God. We look to the promises of God and we look to the Son of God. And like I said those kind of spring from one source. God himself. The the bulk of So the second point, if you're a note-taker, is with promises. We're waiting with God's promises. The bulk of the words in this passage are devoted to making this point. God always keeps His word. And God reiterates His Word and does things like making an oath with Abraham, not because God needs to be reminded of His Word, but because He wants us to remember that He always keeps His Word. God is not capitulating, in, like, His character is not flawed. He didn't need to be like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to keep my Word. God was leaning in and God was pursuing and God was saying, know the Word because I will keep it. Every step of the way. That's what this passage is shouting. God wanted to convince not only Abraham, but the heirs of the promise, that's all the children of Abraham, that his character is unchanging, his purpose is unchanging, and he will always keep his word. That's what this passage is trying to drive home to us. So if God always keeps his promises, it makes sense to us to me, that our calling is to look for hope by looking for God's promises. So if we are spiritually malnourished, it could be because we're not consuming God's promises, or it could be because we're consuming the wrong ones. But either way, the calling of the passage is just to know what God has promised and to believe it with great earnestness because promises by God are to yield confident hope that changes the present. That's what this passage is shouting to us. So, I, I was thinking about this like, okay, so if you're malnourished, you're either malnourished because you're not eating anything Or like my kids, you're just eating a bunch of junk. You know, Doritos, Twinkies, chocolate, ice cream, all the stuff. But either way, the way to nourish your soul is to take in the promises of God that are the food that yield faith and hope and confidence. So where do we find these? Ultimately, we find these promises of God in the Scripture. We find them in the Scripture. So if I wanted to kind of play, just gloss over the fact that, that this might be a difficult task, or task, I could just say, hey, take up your Bible, start reading, you'll find promises of God. But that's not going to help you. So let me give you two very clear promises that God has given in the Scripture that breathe life into my soul. These are healthy food. One of them is Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you as much as I'd like to, but just listen to the end here. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Basically, what we're being promised there is that nothing, and by nothing they mean nothing, will separate God's people from God's love in Christ Jesus. That is a promise that we're called to hear and receive and believe and let it shape the way that we live in this world. Here's another one that's, that's been very fruitful to me as my wife and I have navigated some hardship over the years. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, hear that. And what I love about this particular passage is the author of Hebrews goes back and grabs Joshua 1.5. And goes back and grabs Psalm 118.6 and says, Together, these shape our current living. The author of Hebrews does exactly what we're talking about in this passage. Go grab the promises and believe them in such a way they shape your life. And so here's the promise. If you're in Christ, God will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're in Christ, He will be your helper. And there's nothing that man can do to you that Christ can't overcome. Those are promises that we can build our life upon. So I would encourage you, Christian, to take up your Bible and go looking for hope by finding promises that God has spoken to His people. Remember a second I said we might be malnourished, not because we're not eating, but because we're eating the wrong stuff. I want you to hear this really, really clearly, and this is going to kind of go down in the weeds for a minute. So if you don't want to go in the weeds with me for a minute, just kind of hang out over here. I'll call you back in a second, okay? But we need, everything in the Bible is not a promise that we get to apply to ourselves. Does that make sense? Everything in the Bible is not a promise that we get to apply to ourselves. I mean, like, I'm just going to be silly for a minute, but, like, we're told that, that Jesus wept. So is that a promise that we should always weep? Well, of course not. It just means that Jesus wept. Like, I'm just trying to say, like, I'm trying to make an absurd statement of, like, everything in the Bible is not some kind of promise that we're to live by. Sometimes it's just a story, and sometimes it's just a proverb. And so one thing that I find Christians doing that, that sucks joy and hope out of our souls is we take things out of the Bible that aren't intended to be promises for our living, and we apply them as promises, and then it sucks the joy out of our faith. So so sometimes things in the Scripture are not promises that we should build our eternity on. I'll give you one example, and this might wreck your whole model of parenting, but I'm going to try anyway, okay? And if we need to go to lunch afterward and talk about it, sure. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, the book of Proverbs is not God speaking promises to his people. It's just observations. It's observations of, of if you train up your child in the way they should go, statistically it's more likely that they're going to go in the right path because they'll know the right path. Look, the person who wrote Proverbs 22.6 departed from it at the end of his life. Or at least in the middle of his life. So that's not God saying, if you raise your children the right way, I promise and I put my character on it, they'll come to me. That is not what that's in the Bible for. It's just an observation. And so it would be feeding our souls in the wrong way to take that up as a promise, preach it to ourselves, and then believe it. Because what would then happen is if our children stray from the Lord, one of two really negative things is going to happen. One, I'm going to start to believe that God doesn't keep his promises. Or I'm going to start to believe that it was all my fault. And neither one of those things have to be true. It's a proverb. It's not a promise. I'm trying to decide if I want to get into politics or stay out of it for a minute. Okay, I'm going to stay out. (laughs) No, I'm going to do it. Guys, I'm not trying to be divisive here. I'm really not. What I'm trying to do is help us understand what the Bible calls us to take up as a promise and believe and what it doesn't, okay? And, and, and I'm not discipling us well if we're not dabbling into that, okay? So often Christians like to quote 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who I call by the name will repent, then I will heal their land. Okay, that's in the Bible, That reads like a promise. But do you know who the people are there? It's Israel. Do you know what the land is? It's Israel. Do you know what the modern parallel of that is? It's not America. It's the church. And so that's a promise that when rightly applied says that if the church will repent and return to the Lord, the Lord will heal the church. It doesn't mean anything for America. And if we go down that path, we are taking God's word and applying it in a wrong way. And when we do that, we're either going to be disappointed in God or we're going to think we didn't repent enough. That's not the issue. 2 Chronicles 7.14 was not intended to have anything to do with geopolitics. It had everything to do with God's people following the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to divide. I see some of you like, dude, what's the point? Here's the point. The promises of God in the scripture are intended to be pearls of greatest treasure that fuel our souls for all of our hardships and all of our days. But every word in the scripture is not intended to be one of those promises. So we have to be wise as we go looking for them. Now if all that I just said confused you, go back Romans 8, 31-39, Hebrews 13, 5-6. These are promises that we can build our lives upon. Now, the second thing the passage says is if we want hope, if we want hope that transcends this world while we wait on the Lord, we will look to Jesus. This is verses 19 and 20. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul A hope that enters into the inner places behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now that's a mouthful. Here's the good news. The next few weeks we're going to talk about the curtain and we're going to talk about the high priest and we're going to talk about Melchizedek because that's where the passage goes. But here's what the passage says for now. It says all these promises of God's deliverance ultimately terminate in Jesus. It's like in a house, if you were to look at all the electrical systems and take all the outlets out, what you have is a bunch of wires, but all the wires go back to the circuit breaker. All the wires go back to the box where the circuits are. All the power for all the electricity comes from the breaker box. And in the Scripture, the power of the promises is the Son of God who came, lived, died, rose again, and took on the weight of sin and guilt and death to build the people of God forever. All the promises ultimately point to Jesus. So much so that Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. But what this passage says is because all the promises find their, their yes in Jesus, then Jesus is a sure and steadfast anchor of The soul. Just let the metaphor resound. An anchor is that which holds a boat in place. It keeps it from being pulled out to sea, it keeps it from being separated from its home, it keeps it from being toppled over, it keeps it from being destroyed. Every boat at sea needs an anchor. But what we're told here is that Jesus is not just an anchor, He's the sure anchor, meaning that He is certain. He never fails His children. And it says that He is the steadfast anchor, meaning He is firm and unwavering. And so what this passage is shouting to us is that in Jesus, our souls are offered a sure and steadfast anchor that can endure all things and Jesus the anchor that carries the people through all things gives us hope gives us hope how so how so one it says that he entered behind the curtain which is biblical language to say Jesus stands in the presence of God in the holy of holies Representing the people as an accepted high priest who's made an offering for our sin and brings us into the presence of God. And second, he's not just there for a day, he's not just there once a year, he's not just there for a season, but he's that priest behind the curtain forever. The high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so what this passage is promising to us in big words that require a lot of theological thought, we'll come back to them next week, is that Jesus is sure and steady forever because Jesus has brought the people into the presence of God in a way that they are accepted and forgiven and blessed. Jesus is the strength that the world needs. Ultimately, what this passage is telling us to shout is I find hope in the promises of God and I find hope in the Son of God. Ultimately, this passage is saying, will I make peace with the fact that Jesus is enough for me? Jesus is enough. Now, I say that and we often immediately go to, yes, Jesus is enough so that my sin can be forgiven. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Jesus is also enough to give you joy. Jesus is also enough to cover your brokenness. Jesus is also enough to take away your guilt and your shame. Jesus is also enough to take away your fear of standing before God. Jesus is also enough to minister to and care for the traumas and the hurts and the brokenness that you bring into today. Jesus is enough. He is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So I will go looking for hope by taking all of who I am to Jesus. So I want to wind this sermon up this way. The power to find hope in the world does not come through better circumstances. The power to find hope in this world does not come through better stuff. More safety, more security, more money. The power to find hope in this world comes through the God who's made promises that he always keeps and through the Son of God who came to fulfill all of those promises. Now, what I'm saying to you and what this passage is calling us to is to recognize that hope doesn't come like a light switch. Hey, I'm a Christian now. Yay! Yay! Often, discipleship is choosing to go look for hope in God so that we don't find our hope in other things. So I want to leave you here today saying, I will go look for my hope in the promises of God and in the Son of God. We as a people, we as Redeemer Church, will be a people who look for our hope in the Word of God and in the Son of God. That's what we'll be known for. So, if you entered here today in a very broken posture, the answer's right in front of you. Jesus is the sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. Passages like this aren't hard for the broken because we're desperate. Anything that will help us face the next hour is a gift that we'll receive. And here's Jesus saying, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love. What I fear, and I think what this passage is really addressing, is those of us who didn't come in here broken, but came in here looking in all the other places. We came in here finding more confidence in our bank account than we did the love of God. We came in here finding more joy in that promotion we got this week than we do the love of God in Christ Jesus. We came in here loving the hope of a new house more than the love of God in Christ Jesus. We came in here overjoyed because our kid just got that opportunity that we wanted them to have so badly more than the hope of God expressed to us in the love of Jesus. All those things are fine and good and you don't have to repent of any of them. Just don't let them become your anchor because they will let you down. Let Jesus have his place as the sure and steadfast anchor of your soul. Our Father and our God, In any way that which we have discussed would bear fruit for your kingdom I pray that you would make it happen I pray that you would accomplish many things here today God we ask that your spirit be at work now and we pray this in Jesus name congregation at this time each week we take the Lord's Supper um, this is a meal that Jesus gave us it's a meal for us to say Jesus is my hope, Jesus is my anchor, I cling to him Here at Redeemer Church, we invite anyone who is a Christian, that's anyone who's professed faith in Jesus and made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread, take this cup with us. If you're with us today and that's not you, we are not really trying to exclude you as much as we just don't want anyone to settle for bread and cup. We want you to have Jesus. The bread and the cup are just signs of what Christ has done. So we take them in joy and we take them as a declaration of our hope in Christ If you'd like to talk with me or talk with someone here about what it would look like to become a follower of Jesus, we'd love to have that conversation with you. We'd love to help you in that conversation. We're going to sing. Some men are going to come. They're going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.